Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shannon. And joining me today uh, to talk about a variety of things, to help preview the MLS Super Draft, to talk about uh, the prospects of, of Dylan Tevez and, uh, and and kind of just talking about the state of college soccer is someone I've been dying to get on the show for a long time. Uh, you know him as UW head coach, Jamie Clark. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate you having me here. It's fun to, fun to talk all soccer local. You know, there's a lot of good things going on around here, so it's, it's fun to talk about it. Yeah, so let's just start off. You had an amazing season this year. Uh, you you know, I don't know how much people know about the journey that UW has taken uh, since you started, but you guys have been a fixture in the NCAA tournament ever since you, you got here, uh, have certainly returned UW to a level of soccer glory. But this year you, you went to New Heights, made the first, made the College Cup for the first time in, in school history and went to the national title game. Uh, that must have been an amazing ride and, and that must have been a, a lot of fun for you. The, the experience was incredible. Um, you know, we would have loved to have won one more game, but the uh, at the same time, just, you know, these journeys you take with your teams are are special. And when you get to actually, you felt like you maximized your potential. You, we did so many things right. And I think the thing that was probably most special is like, you know, there is a lot of great soccer in our city. And to get the attention that I feel like we deserve is hard because it's, you know, like, you know, why shouldn't you be supporting all these other teams? But, but we did move the needle and uh, I felt like the community got really behind us and, you know, selling out, you know, we don't have a huge stadium, but selling out our stadium week after week towards the NCAA tournament run, winning games, having the field rushed. It was, it was a sort of experience you want your guys to have and we enjoyed it. So looking at the roster of players that you have now eligible for the upcoming super draft and guys that are getting potentially getting signed straight out of school, is it fair to assume that this was sort of a, this was, this was a class that you were looking at as being sort of like, okay, this was what we've been building to for a few years. I mean, it looks like a lot of talent is, uh, is, is kind of hitting the end of their eligibility right now. No, sir. I mean, it was certainly a good run. I, I think quietly the good teams always have sneaky guys on reserves and the Sounders will prove that with like the Alex Roldans and these guys who, you know, like appear and all of a sudden are really good. And we're, we're hopeful that we have those guys in reserve. Um, but having said that, I don't want to take anything away from the Ryan Sailors, the Lucas Meeks, the Dylan Tevez, as these guys were fantastic here and grew with the program, through the program. And they, you know, they get to go out, you know, with their heads, their heads held really high. So uh, it was awesome. Um, and I, I do think, you know, I'd be a fool to say that we're not going to miss them. But, you know, our, our hope and plan is that we get to have another run like this next year, too. Yeah, well, good luck with for sure. Good luck. And it seems like 
the Sounders, and you, you've done such an amazing job of recruiting from this area. And it's not just Sounders Academy players, it's Crossfire players, it's Eastside FC, it's it's guys that are seemingly coming out of like the prep, uh, the prep world as well. Uh, do you, how, how much pride do you take in being a team that is, is sort of like built around a local nucleus? Yeah, we, we want to be Washington's team. We do. And I think even with kids, I'll say this with, even with local players who decide to go elsewhere, um, you know, I'm a state employee. That's how I look at it. And, and so any Washington soccer player who wants advice or who wants to figure out what their next steps are, um, I try to help them. And, you know, selfishly speaking, I try to help quite a few of them get to UW. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> you know, the best ones we want to keep here. But it's, uh, you know, I, I, it, there's more pride. I, I coached at New Mexico a long time ago, and I was the assistant coach there. And we went to a national final with like, I think, six New Mexico guys in our team. And I watched how uh, how much pride the, 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 again, the community had in their local guys. I watched how much pride the guys had representing their community. Um, and that's what, I, that's what we want. So I think they give a little more when you get those local guys. And then like anything, you got to infuse them with some, you know, international or out of state talent. And uh, the, you know, the combination is a great team. So looking at some of these players that are coming out, uh, nothing's been announced yet, but all signs seem to point to Dylan Tevez joining the Sounders on a homegrown player contract. What can you tell us about Dylan? What can you tell us about how he maybe projects at the MLS level? Um, you know, first off, Dylan had an incredible year for us, and I think he's earned the right to be sorting his, you know, future out with the Sounders. Um, you know, he, he, they, they did a great job finding a guy in Hawaii and bringing him over to Seattle to play his, his kind of high school years. And so we were the, we were the beneficiary of that to begin with, you know, their scouting network found a guy and brought him into our state and that worked out great. Um, he's come to UW. I think he's grown and gotten better. And, and, um, and I think now the Sounders are, are, you know, believe that he's good enough to, to join, join them again and, and be a first team player. And, um, so, so I'm excited for him. Um, what is he though? You know, he, he's a very good player and, and he's, but he's very hard one to, to nail down in terms of like a comparison piece. Um, he's always played an attacking role for us because at, at our level, he was always good enough to, to make a difference, score an important goal, make runs in behind. But like so many good players, as they move up levels, it's possible he has to move back you know, um, a position. So while he played as a winger or a forward for us, it's possible he plays as an eight and moves the ball. And, and really he, he, he's very good. He's tricky. He's good running with the ball, but he, he really takes care of the ball. Well, so I think guys will enjoy playing with him. It's a question of, is he good enough to, to score goals and, and make the big plays and attacking to be a front four player, or is he better just keeping the ball and covering ground? And I, I'm not sure, but I know people will enjoy watching him and I know he'll represent the Sounders very well because he's a great young man. Do you have a, is there a player that you would feel comfortable comparing him to? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's tricky because he plays deeper on the field, but as a college player, he played more as a 10. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's a little bit of Kellen Rowe in him to me in terms of, uh, he's not the biggest guy, but he moves very well. He sees the game well. He covers a lot of ground. Um, there's a confidence at times that he that he can pull some stuff off. Um, so, you know, I, I think that might be a good comparison piece. But, um, 
you know, in, in his dream world, he would probably like to be like Ladero and play a 10 and doing <laughs> that. But, but we'll, you know, we'll give him time. So uh, speaking of which, you know, there was a line in a, in a recent Matt Doyle uh, column when he was looking at the, at the draft in general. And he basically said like number 10s, players who are number 10s in college don't play number 10 in, in MLS. Like it, it just doesn't really happen. Is that, is that a fair thing to say that like, tens are basically just either eights or wingers waiting to happen or can the college game still produce a MLS quality number 10? It's a really good question. Um, I mean, it is a position a, you know, some teams have sort of gone away from having tens period because sure. you know, it is, it's, but, it, but if you are going to have one, they have to be so good because, you know, in theory, it's a little bit of a luxury position. So if you're going to have one, they have to be so good that you're probably spending millions of dollars on them. And well, I think there's college players that end up being worth millions of dollars. And, and, you know, that's been proven in the draft um, a few times over, but yeah, this it, year it, alone, we've seen uh, Tejon Buchanan and Daryl DK both sell for, you know, close to, you know, seven, between seven and $10 million. And those are guys that were drafted just a couple of years ago. It's crazy, right? It's possible. Yeah. And it's, um, but I do, I think tens are, I agree. I think tens, you know, I think they would have to cut their teeth as wingers and really show it and then maybe move centrally again um, if they if they really proved it. But man, it, it's 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 not easy to be a 10 in MLS ever. So you've got a, a few other players that are going into the draft that are that are rated pretty highly. Uh, who are some of the other guys that, that you're looking at and that you think are, are, are people, people fans of, of Seattle soccer should be keeping an eye on? Um, you know, from, from our team this year, I think, um, there's a few guys, I think Ryan Saylor was, was, did a great job as a central defender. You know, it's interesting again, and this is the beauty of sports is Ryan was buried behind two first round picks in last year's draft and, uh, and Ethan Bartlow and Freddie Kleeman who went five and 11 last year. And, um, you know, and, and so all of a sudden he appeared and played in the spring season and played in the fall. And now he's potentially a top 10 pick, but he's a big athletic, really fits the profile of a guy who can defend at a top level. So I'm excited to see what happens to him. Charlie Ostrom's a very good left back um, who, you know, will be interested to see where, where he pans out, but he could be a first round guy. Uh, Kendall Burks is another who, local guy who played at Washington premier and played for the Sounders 23s and, um, he went to Cal state Northridge and transferred back and we were fortunate to get him back, but he, you know, he projects to maybe be a first round guy too. Um, so those guys are all, they're, they're very talented. And then we've got a shield Robin who I love and I think he's a world of him as a player, but he's an international player. So, you know, which MLS team is going to be willing to use an international slot on him. I think if he was American, he'd be a first round guy, but we'll see, you know, what his, uh, kind of visa situation where that leaves them. Uh, and then Lucas meets the last one, another Sounders guy growing up and he's a great winger. I think he would have been a national player of the year candidate had he not broken his uh, collarbone this year. And I mean, he had three goals in three games and three assists in those games to begin the season, breaks his collarbone, misses the majority of the season. And now actually he's actually having knee surgery for a, the other thing he picked up as soon as he got back. So you know, I don't know whether he'll leave or not, to be honest, he might come back for another year, but he'll be in the draft, I believe. So it's a lot of exciting, you know, hopefully it's a lot of good press for UW um, on Monday. 
Yeah, so you, you kind of alluded to this. This is a, an interesting year for the draft because the eligibility works a little bit differently, whereas in the past, every senior, or I guess it's still kind of this way, but because of the NCAA granting an extra year of, of eligibility to, was it to everyone or just the Pac-12? Or a bunch of people got extra years of eligibility, right? Maybe everyone. So, um, the uh, Yeah, so when that spring season we just played, they basically said that season doesn't count for anyone. So okay. even though we got to play a season, it was great. They said, you know, we, everyone gets one extra year, whether you want to use it or not. So the MLS has done an interesting thing. So the MLS now says if you're a senior academically, you can enter the like you can be entered in a draft. You now you don't have to leave. You can come back to school and play your extra year, but it's going to leave with a lot of like some players. And there, there's, I'm trying to think. There were some players last year who got drafted who who stayed in school. Um, and the Timbers actually had two of them: one at Creighton and one at Notre Dame. And maybe they'll join them this year. It'll be the same next year. So all these guys who get drafted, if they don't get drafted high, maybe they'll talk to the clubs and say, "Hey, is it better I come back and play? You know." my games or is it, you know, you know, they have to figure out their own individual situations, but it's a lot of uncertainty, but it's also a lot of excitement for these young guys. Yeah. And they also had this weird supplemental draft last year where there was only a handful of players available and the Sounders ended up with Andrew Thomas from, from Stanford, which this draft came out. It was just a very weird as for a lot of reasons last year was very strange, but I guess this is kind of a similar, who knows, maybe we'll end up with a similar thing where uh, guys end up coming out later, but uh it does create an interesting uh, setup for, for you and for, for players. And, and I guess it, it looks like it's going to work out to players advantage because they have more flexibility than they would normally have. Yes. And that's what you want. You want these guys to have options um, in a league that actually limits options at times. Right. And it's a lot. Yeah. Well, exactly. So, um, you know, it's nice that, and, you know, and I think if they even, if, even if they're in the draft, what I learned today actually was if they're in the draft and they don't get drafted, they come back to school, then they will be completely free agents to negotiate with any team next year. So, um, it, you know, it, it's it's possible that that works out well for some guys that, you know, they can, you know, just sort of – the draft's an interesting mechanism. It's exciting. It's fun. It supposedly creates equity, right, because the bottom teams get the top picks in theory and other sports. But, like, um, at the same time, in soccer where fit is so important um, – you end up sometimes, you know, the Sounders may want a guy that they really had a plan for that someone else just kind of liked a little mm-hmm. bit and they two picks before they lose them. Right. And so I don't know, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's fun, but sometimes I don't think it's the best player placement uh, Avenue because guys don't end up where they probably should. Well, you look at a guy like Christian Roldan who was projected to go number two in that draft ended up falling all the way to the Sounders who, had to actually move up to get him, I think at number 15 or 16. And it clearly could not have, like, it's hard to imagine it working out better than it did. And at the time you even felt like this is a perfect situation for Christian. This is the player the Sounders wanted on and on and on. And yet there were 14 or so other teams that easily could have swooped in and taken Christian. And who knows how it would have gone because he clearly wasn't a player who was ready to be the player he is today when he, he got drafted at, I think at 19 or 20 years old. And uh, and you wonder how many players sort of get lost in that, that, you know, the, how many sliding door kind of situations there are where if only they had been drafted by a team that had a little bit more of a vision or patience uh, than what the player ended up needing. I think soccer more than any sport is is, you know, maybe that's what I'll blame my career on. <laughs> I, I didn't I just need to find the right spot. If I found the right spot, it would have been 
roses, but no, you and Caleb uh, Porter, right? Exactly. That was, uh, you know, just, just not the right spots, but no, I, I, I think there's a lot of players who really are talented to just somehow it doesn't, it doesn't quite work for. And, and I think if they found another home or earlier or even, you know, um, but that that's a game and that's what makes it fun. Right. And all of a sudden you get these other surprise guys who no one ever picked who you right. know, all of a sudden blossom. So it's cool. You know, and we have seen, that there's clearly value in the draft from an MLS perspective. Like that's been borne out every year. We, we sort of like the pundits get ready to say like, well, the draft is irrelevant and it doesn't matter. And then every year there's a player or two who remind us that no, there's a lot of talent there. It's just a matter of finding it and developing it and turning it into something really useful as someone who is clearly very invested in the college game. What role do you feel like college soccer plays in the U S developmental pipeline? Um, I, you know, I, I'm a big believer. You, you, you're crazy if you don't cast the, the net as wide as you can. Right. Um, players develop at different times. And I could, you know, I could give examples all over the world of guys getting released and then getting signed later and finding their feet later on. Like, um, we're fools if we don't keep that net as wide as possible and let as many players play as high a level as possible for as long as possible. And by doing that, we just have the best chance for success. Now, there's a couple other things. A, we have this model that basically takes clubs off the hook financially, right? These colleges are, you know, so I think that's a real positive thing. So, it, it, you know, we shoulder a lot of the financial burden um, to, to keep the net wide. And then I think from a player, from a, the club's perspective, I also understand, hey, we want to work with some of our top guys and we want to keep them in house and we, and, and, that there's no problem. Like if, if, you know, you're willing to invest in your own player and keep them there. That's, that's fantastic. Like everyone, I I imagine everyone would want to develop their own player, but there's not always room space finances available to do that. So, um, and, you know, and I think actually weirdly enough, the college soccer piece also forces, it's very good for the player market because for these young kids, it forces Mm -hmm. these clubs a little bit sometimes to actually say, Hey, we're, we can't just like throw you peanuts and expect, well, they sometimes still do, but it's generally, <laughs> you know, they, it's, you know, they're weighing up options of getting a degree and getting a scholarship and actually having something tangible versus leaving it all behind. So if you leave it all behind, I hope it's for a decent, you know, little bit of money and a, a little bit of a guaranteed timeline. Yeah. I mean, and at the and even broadly, more broadly, it's like, this is a huge country. There's still a lot of talent that is not, being seen every day by MLS talent scouts. I mean, it's whether it's in the Midwest or other or Eastern Washington or wherever it might be, there's a lot of places that just, you know, they're going to, you're going to have players missed. I mean, Christian Roldan is another good example. This is a player who, you know, you hear him tell it was almost ready to just kind of go and be a student out of, uh, out of high school. Although maybe it's, maybe he's, he's embellishing that a little bit, but, uh, you know, he, he certainly wasn't getting recruited by his local academies. And we have players, you have players in, in Washington, uh, Dylan Tevez maybe, or Tevez got offered a USL contract, but you have players that even, even if they come through the academies, maybe aren't ready for pro soccer yet. And they become pro ready during their time in college. Oh, I mean, you know, I think people will get to know this name over the next couple of years, but I think we've got a guy who's as close to Christian as we've ever had right now on our team, a guy, Kalani Kosarienzi. And if I told you the name of his club team, you, you know, you, you wouldn't have heard of it. And, and he, but he had, he had, did have great coaching. He had, you know, he had the, one of the old uh, women's coaches at Cal um, 
uh, you know, uh, really took her him under her wing and, and coached him well. But like no one knew this. I mean, this kid was in Berkeley, California, and Cal didn't recruit him. Mm-hmm. And he's here and he was arguably the best player at the final four for, uh, during our run for any team. I mean, and, uh, you know, there's these guys just they exist. I mean, Daryl DK. You know, I mean, right. you know, he, he really, I mean, he went to Virginia and got a great scholarship, but like it was, you know, 12 months earlier, no one really knew about him. It's, right. He was just a kid in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, I feel dumb on that one because we actually, I, I worked with his older brother at Notre Dame. So we, should, <laughs> uh, we should probably should have locked that one up, but you know, was that we, bright. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bright DK poor USL Timbers legend. Yeah. He's, and he's played, man, that guy's played for Nigeria a bunch of times. All the, I mean, yeah. just, just, this country is awesome. And that's what I love it. There's so many players playing. There's so many different avenues, just things, things appear, things pop. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun because generally speaking, a lot of people get to have this great one or two off stories, right? Like, oh, I was, you know, I saw this kid and I, you know, there, he appeared all of a sudden and, um, you know, and it, it happens at a lot of colleges, a lot of pro teams unearth guys. And now what happens is sometimes they unearth them and get them to their academies earlier. But again, where does college soccer fit in? Well, a lot of guys aren't ready to be homegrown quite yet. And so it might make the draft a little less meaningful at times because now, you know, we'll develop, we'll, you know, a guy like Hanwala might have been in the draft or a Henry Wingo, but now they're homegrown, you know, a year earlier. So if every team does it, it's, 10, 15 guys less in the draft than might've been in there earlier. So I think now the later rounds are probably watered down, but the top round still has a lot of, a lot of gems. And is there, you know, looking at the, at the talent pool that's out there, you know, looking at us beyond your players, who are some, are there other players that are in this draft that you're kind of high on that you think have potential uh, pro careers in them? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there, there's, there's some really interesting ones Um, of those GA guys. There's, there's, there's quite a few, I'm actually in St. Louis, you know, for, for the Herman and, and that's um, you know, so I was out to lunch and with the St. Louis coach and three of his guys went Yeah, generation Adidas. So he, so it was a big hit for him, but those guys uh, I really love their left winger. Um, I think Isaiah Parker, he's very, very good. I think, um, there's, you know, the Stanford winger, the uh, Usaini Buddha is his name, and he's he's a real handful, and it's got a pretty high ceiling. Um, so, so there's just there's there's some guys out there that that, that I'm curious. Uh, but again, like it's it, they have to go into a new locker room, a new environment, and it's always interesting to see who's brave enough to take the next step. I actually think a lot of guys are good enough, um, but it, you got to be brave and you got to you know, stand up to a lot of a lot better players around you and, and, and not just try to fit in, but try to have an impact. And it'll be interesting to see how the MLS next pro and how that, how the draft end up, ends up impacting that. Cause as much as having MLS teams, having teams in the USL championship, I do wonder if, if next pro is maybe a little bit better of a transition, especially for college kids, not only are there going to be more opportunities because more teams, more MLS teams are going to have, uh, teams that they directly oversee, but uh, the opportunities seem like they'll maybe be a little bit more straightforward as a talent development and a little bit less of a, uh, you know, trying to win games, purely trying to win games, which I don't know how many teams were doing that, but no, uh, I they're think, not competing I, against those guys. I think it's going to be a fun league. And I think 
it will make the latter rounds of this draft a little more important because I think they're going to have to fill out those rosters a little bit more. Right. So yeah, these guys are really going to have a little bit better uh, opportunity to stick and actually get meaningful games that, you know, again, that's, it's not that place they want to end up, but it's, it's the important, you know, in between step if they want to get to where they want to be. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, uh, I, should probably let you go. This has been super interesting, super informative. Uh, congratulations again on the run that you guys had this year. It's always fun watching what UW is doing. Uh, you guys consistently are competitive. You're consistently have pro quality players and best. It seems like Husky stadium is a fun place to watch a soccer game too. It's great spot. So I know I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on because I just, it's fun to talk about it. I, I do. I, I love this place. I love UW. I love this area in the soccer, soccer in the area. So it's like, um, you know, for me to get to just chat about it and let some other people hear me talk about, you know, my fondness for Pacific Northwest soccer. It's, uh, it's special. Well, it's Speaking been awesome. Home. Yeah, absolutely. Great. That's awesome to hear. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Chan signing off for Jamie Clark. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.